Thanks, Scott. Thank you. I uh, really appreciated uh, Quinn asking me to come and share a little bit with you guys today. Um, we visited the church. My wife, my wife Penny, raise your hand. My wife Penny and I, our kids visited a couple years ago. I guess we were upstairs, and so I don't know how long you've been down here, but it's fun getting together and uh, as with brothers and sisters in Christ to to share with one another. Um, I am on staff at CCC, and my wife Penny. I have three daughters, uh, 21. She's got married about a year and a half ago, and I talked to the Eddins last night about what it's like to get married at 19, and that was that was fun to catch up with Rachel about that. And a da- daughter, uh, Chloe, who's 19, and then uh, Gracie is a freshman at North, 15. So, house full of girls, and it's awesome, just awesome having girls. I don't know if you've Anybody here has got a lot of daughters. I've never had a son, but I'll tell you what, they can really get to you. Um, I talked to uh, Quinn a little bit about um, what to talk about, and basically something that was just laid on my heart that I thought would be worth talking about with the church today. Um, I'm not going through a specific scripture. I'm not doing a focus on a certain book of the Bible this morning. I just wanted to talk about the idea of how we engage our community for the sake of building the kingdom. Does that make sense? Um, just talking about, if you're, if you're like me, you can notice that something's really changing in our society. Things are just getting really complicated, stressful, busy, um, uh, morality, morale. All those things are just attacking our society. And so where, do, where are we as the church in the middle of all this? So what I want to share with you is four people that are believers in Christ. Um, if you're not a believer, we pray that you would make that decision someday. But this is a challenge for all of us on how we can really engage people for the sake of the kingdom. Okay? Um, there are a lot of spiritually hungry people out there. There are people that are lost, that are searching for a purpose in their life. And so we're going to talk about how do we reach those people. We're not going to talk about a marketing plan. I'm not going to talk about brochures and flyers and having an incredible service or all that. It's for what do we do individually and as families and as churches to reach those that don't know the Lord. Okay. All right, let's get started with Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus through all these uh, different steps. Yeah? No, we're not going to talk about tracks. Not at all. Okay? Sorry, Quinn. Yeah. All right, Jesus. He had said, there's some, somewhere in the scriptures, I'm sure you remember, where he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he told the disciples... I'm going to send you out into the field, okay? A lot of people out there, what what he was saying was, there's a lot of people out there that I want to be introduced to, and I am sending you out to do that, okay? So who here is a farmer? Is anybody here a farmer? Okay, farmers first. Any farmers? (laughs) Any farmers? Okay, we'll step it down. To gardeners. Gardeners? Who is willing to say they've got a big garden? Okay. Pardon? 
Y'all live in town. All right. Okay, let's go to gardening. All right. A lot of people have gardens. I grew up, my dad had a huge garden about as big as this hole downstairs. And so we worked in the garden all summer long. As a kid, I hated it. Now I look back and think how much I really learned about gardening. We would get up, get up, start home, and here you've got the green beans today. So you do all these green beans. It's a lot of work. So what's the most, the first thing you really need to have when you want to have a garden? Soil? Who said soil? You're the winner. All right. Before you can have seed, water, sunshine, you got to have soil, right? So we're going to talk, who said good soil? Bingo. All right. We need to have good soil. So we're going to talk about soil. How do we prepare the soil? How do we prepare an environment that invites people to have a relationship with us and therefore have a relationship with Christ? We're going to talk about the soil. All right. First Corinthians chapter three, six through nine, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God makes all all things grow. As Christians, it's our job to be farmers. We need to come to trust God and he's already at work around us making things grow. We need to cultivate and create soil for God to cause the growth. God is responsible for the growth. We're responsible for the soil. That's that's what I want you to kind of remember as we walk through these different ways to reach others. We're responsible for the soil, okay? Everybody here, if you're a believer, you've got that responsibility. And as a church, we need to till the ground, till the soil for people. So what is a church? Let's remind ourselves, what is a church? A church is not a building, okay? This is not a church. This is a place where the church gathers, and it's something you got to always remind yourself, and you got to remind others. This is the church building that you rent or own where the church gathers. The church is nothing you attend. You can't actually biblically go to church, okay? A lot of us went to church today, We're going to meet with other believers because as the body of Christ, we are the church. It's not a program. It's not an event. It's not a service. And it's not a building. The church is the body of Christ. So how can the church reach others? We are to represent Christ to people. This is a challenge. How do we engage the culture today? And I believe as a body, we need to be praying to God, bring us the hurt Bring us the poor, the downtrodden, the addicted, the lost, the immoral, the people that maybe no one else has a relationship so we can love them to you. That's what we need to pray. Corinthians. Anybody know about the church in Corinth? Anybody have any thoughts about that? Anything come to mind when you look in Corinthians, what that church was like? Anybody? Any thoughts? Pardon? Is black backslidden? What about before it was backslidden? Any ideas? All right, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. That's a good chapter if you want to read it later. But listen to what, what, what's said. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, or the male prostitute, prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor those that are greedy, drunkards, slanders, 
or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and that is what some of you were. So what has happened is this, there's, Corinth was a rich, very uh, partying city, and somehow in that beautiful mess, Christ raised a church, the Corinthian church. He raised a group of people that were living all these lifestyles, and then they were struggling and then backslidden. But somehow, in the middle of all that mess, his church rose up. It's a beautiful picture how people came as they were, and they grew to be more like God. All right, so we're going to talk about five different ways to kind of cultivate the soil and to reach our culture. I'm going to walk through these five. At the end of each one, I've got a question. I want you to just kind of look, just think about to yourself how you fit in with this. All right, so the first one is we want to create a culture of authenticity. And there's the PowerPoint. All right. Um, Authenticity. What's, what word comes to mind when you think of the word authenticity? Anybody have any ideas? Real? What else? One of a kind? True? Genuine? What'd you say? Uh-huh. Authentic. Okay, that's the root word. Anybody say authentic? Okay. All right. Also, transparency. Okay. Being transparent. If we want to reach others for Christ, we need to be transparent. All right? People in today's society, they want the real thing. They are tired of being duped and being lied to and finding out later that someone's not who they really are. So we need to be, I believe, something I struggle with and I need to continue to do is be more transparent and real with people. If I were to stand here and try to all of a sudden be transparent with you when I don't know you very well, it's kind of hard to do. I mean, if there's different layers, I guess, to, to revealing yourself to someone else. I think I could tell you that I'm a mindless person. I, my wife can verify that. I f- go to the store for six things. You come back. No, no, you go to the store for one thing, come back with six things and forget the, the one thing, right? Story after story where I've just not thought through some things. But if I go to go a little deeper in being transparent, I struggle with bitterness at times. I struggle with um, maybe fear. I had written down here distrust. Maybe people I don't know very well. I struggle with that. And so I encourage every person here, who are those people in your life that you're really transparent with? Because if you cannot be transparent with those that you're closest to, your small group, your family, you're going to have a real hard time being a transparent Christian with people you don't know. So you can take a step in that direction. Jesus was transparent. He was the real deal. He was truthful. And he was reliable. And those are the qualities that he has that we as followers of Christ, we need to have, I believe. Um, What did he say about transparency to the Pharisees? Remember what he said there? Basically, he condemned them because... They were like whitewashed tombs. They tried to present themselves as holy and doing all these things when their hearts were really far from God, and they were very hypocritical. And he called them out on that. And today, I think it's really easy in our society to have what we call impression management. Impression management is we work really hard, whether we like it or not, to put on this mask, and we kind of wear this mask so people will think better of us than we really are. 
And I think if we're all honest, we do struggle with that at times. You know, we want our boss to think we're much more on the ball than we really are. We want other people to think we've got it all together. We may say we're not like that, but there are times I believe all of us do that. We work really hard to keep that mask on. And that is so anti what Christ has asked us to do. 1 John 1, 8. And I don't know if you're taking notes. These are good scriptures to go back and look at. But 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if, if we're not confessing... Um, confession the bible says if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another we will be healed so we need to build confession in our life find those people that we confess to and realize we don't have it all together people will draw closer to you in coming to know the lord if you're more authentic and more real when they realize christians don't have it all together all the time they're not perfect they will be drawn to that. So here's the question I want to ask you, just to think about this. Do people have to peel through all kinds of layers to find out who the real you is? Okay? Do people have to work really hard to figure out who you are? Who supports you in being authentic? And do you have those grace-filled, confessing relationships in your life? It's a challenge for you. All right, we're going to go to the second uh, area uh, as far as how to cultivate the soil for the environment, uh, to create an environment, and that is to create a culture of dialogue. All right? Culture of dialogue. Now, this is not a dialogue. This is really a monologue. I'm talking. You're listening. I might ask a couple of questions, but generally, this is a monologue. How many here can can say, tell me about five sermons they've heard in their life that impacted their life, who taught it, when they taught, when they, who preached it, when you heard it, and kind of all the points that were in that sermon. Has anybody got five sermons off, off hand that you can share? Anybody here been involved in church more than 10 years in your life? Okay. That's about 500 sermons, all right? You can't remember five. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Okay. <laughs> right. right. There's a difference is what you're saying. Right. Now, who can name... Hopefully you can name five people that have impacted your life. Would some people, would many of you be able to do that and why? And maybe com- or conversations that you've had. The point is that we need to, as believers and followers of Christ, focus on dialogue. The goal is not to get people to church so that they hear a really good sermon and hopefully they'll turn their life around. Okay. Somehow that's what evangelism has come to in a lot of our society and a lot of our churches. The goal is to introduce people to Jesus through dialogue. And that requires having conversations with people, right? Um, Zacchaeus. Most people know the story about Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man. I grew up 
you know, singing that song about Zacchaeus. And I think I honestly thought he was about that tall. You know, because you did this when you're little, you know, like he's this little guy running around, you know, I think, I think he was just short is my guess through the scripture. He wasn't like this little guy climbing up the sycamore tree. All right. We look at that story. Uh, Jesus in, it's in Luke 19, verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, which was Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must, it's interesting. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to murmur, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was uh, wealthy. They were seen as traitors in their society, not liked. Plus, he was real short. And and Jesus asked, he said, he picked him out and said, I want to go to your house today. Now, my guess is when they got in the house, Zacchaeus didn't sit in a chair, and Jesus stood up and preached to him and didn't have a conversation with him. They had, my guess is they had a a dialogue, right? So we look at uh, the woman at the well. We see Jesus throughout scriptures. Now, there were times where he, like when he did the Sermon on the Mount in in large groups and times he spoke, but a lot of that one-on-one dialogue was where it's at. So the challenge is for us as believers to be open to those conversations. And I'm sure we could go around and people would share some examples of maybe somebody you met, uh, someone you saw at, uh, out of, at the store or something, just had a small conversation with Christ. Interesting, there's a, a man, an older gentleman at our church at CCC who um, basically he was at Walmart and the lady checking him out at Walmart looked really sad. And he said, she checked, he goes, why are you so sad? You look really sad today. And she said, I, uh, um, well, and then she just kind of shared how she was struggling with her relationship with her husband. And he said, well, here's my phone number. And he's with his wife, sweet old cu- older couple, and said, if you need anything, give me a call. She followed up on it. She followed up on it. And then, they met them at church a couple weeks later. Um, sent them to, I'm a counselor primarily. Sent them to our office. The people showed up wanting some counsel. I mean, just because he said, you look, it's awesome, right? And we all have those opportunities in front of us every day. But if you just hand them a card and say, here's church service Sunday at 11 o'clock, very few people are going to follow through on that. People want dialogue. They want to be heard. They want to be listened to. And, I mean, we all want to be heard. We all want to be listened to. Dialogue requires we have trust in God. We let go of our need to fix and control other people. We just want to relate to people and talk with them. Let them ask questions. Let them uh, share if they have doubts. And primarily, get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit be the one in charge. Conversations. Anthony and I... Saw a guy the other night, had a little conversation just out of the blue. Then all of a sudden, pieces put together and how we knew each other. And it was great. And so great opportunities to, to talk with people. The question is that I want to challenge everybody with, and I challenge myself with this. When is the last time you had a dialogue with a non-Christian person and you really tried to understand why they believe what they believe? Those are not fun conversations sometimes. You get nervous, all right? So that's the challenge. There's five of these different cultures we're going to talk about. We talked about authenticity, dialogue. The third one is 
creating a culture of acceptance. Okay? Creating a culture of acceptance. Romans 15.7. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, there's a word that we struggle with a lot in today's society as Christians. It's a big word that's used all the time. There's a lot of conflict about it. And that word's tolerance. Okay? What is tolerance? Oh, you're not very tolerant, or you're too tolerant, or where's tolerance involved with Christianity and how we live out our faith? So I want to challenge you. Let's kind of go beyond tolerance and not think about tolerance right now. Instead, let's consider something else. Can can non-Christians feed the hungry? Non-Christians can feed the hungry. Non-Christians can provide housing for those that need housing. Um, the things that Jesus has asked us to do as Christians, as far as visiting people in prison and clothing the naked, non-Christians can do that too, right? So what's the difference when we're Christians when we do it? Well, there's something that only we as believers can do and give, and that is grace. True, real grace. That's our weapon. That's our weapon that we've got in our pocket, okay, is truly giving grace to people. It's the biggest asset the body of Christ has when compared to the world. So acceptance and having a sense of grace. But sometimes we don't know how to show grace to people that really drive us crazy. Or we completely disagree with what they're doing and how they're against Christianity or not. Or it's a struggle. You watch TV, you go to movies, you see society. It's a struggle. How do we be graceful? Well, remember Zacchaeus. You know, he was hated. Jesus developed a relationship with him. Jesus should be our example. He spent time with prostitutes, greedy people, the poorest of the poor, the sick, those that worshiped idols. He spent time with sexually immoral. So if we're to be like Jesus, what does it say about us? Are we truly willing to step out and have those relationships and spend time with people? And it takes being intentional. Um, I started this little folder. I wanted to bring it today, and I forgot, but I left it on my desk. And there was a, a group in, it's a city in the south, Atlanta or somewhere, where they've started a ministry to prostitutes on the streets. And they're renting out uh, a storefront or an area downtown. Maybe it wasn't Atlanta, but a city. And they, any time, three days a week, or three times a day, every day, they have, you can go in and get a meal. And it's Christians who are loving, and they just love these prostitutes and develop relationships with with them. And then there were some examples in this story about how some came to know Christ. They slowly got them out of the life of prostitution. It's very hard. A lot lot of them are trafficked, and a lot of it is uh, struggles. But, you know, are we willing to really step out and dig, dig in with people that we disagree with what they're doing. Those are people who are somebody's daughter. Those are people that need grace, grace-filled relationships. How do we deal with the non-Christian who abuses drugs and alcohol, someone who's a Buddhist, uh, someone involved in the New Age movement, someone who offends us by the way they dress or their lifestyle? The real tension today a lot is gay and lesbian lifestyle. How are we accepting but not approving? How do we 
show grace uh, to those that are struggling with that, the same-sex attraction. And I think this is something really that churches are really challenged with today. We have to really be willing to step up and full of grace, be loving to people because it will do nothing but harm people and push them farther away from Jesus when all we do are condemn, 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 condemn. And it's really sickening how some Christians act, I think. You know, marching in signs and God hates fags and et cetera, et cetera. It's just not the way of Christ. And so we have to remember that. Start dialoguing with people about their struggles. We need to stop trying to fix people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. We cannot judge. Our job is to love. Love, grace, try not to control. It does work because the way of Jesus does work. So the question I challenge everybody here today is, does your heart reflect the heart of Christ to all people? All people. Does your heart really reflect that? Okay. The fourth one out of five we're going to talk about is creating a culture of healing growth. Okay. As a church here at TLR, CCC, when I say churches, I'm talking about the body of Christ, universal. Do we have an environment where our soil is prepared for the seed, where we show healing growth? Not just, okay, we accept you, this is how things are in your life, but we encourage people to grow, disciple people. Has anybody here ever discipled another person? Anybody have an example? Okay, so whoever's in the bathroom with the baby, you, you, you've been, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Her husband, so you've been discipling them? Right. Yep. It, right, God does all the work and you intentionally want to be available as well. Um, we're called to be disciplers as believers who then make disciples, who then go and make disciples. That's the plan of evangelism. So who are those people maybe that you've been pouring into to grow in their walk? It's not all about receiving. Oh, I love this and I love that. And teach me more, teach me more. You've got to do something with it. And everybody here can be a discipler, all right? A culture of healing growth. Um, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is eating with the tax collectors again. So he's eating with them. And all the Pharisees, they said, why do you eat with these? Okay. He's sitting there eating with all these uh, bad people that they shouldn't hang around with. Jesus said, Matthew nine twelve. it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means, which means go do it. All right. Figure out what that means. Provide an environment to help people heal. In your home, pray for other people. In your small group, uh, be available to people that need healing, spiritual healing and, and growth. So, we all have a story, all right? So the question is, what's your story? And what can other people gain from your story, how you have come to know Christ? I call this recycling your pain, okay? A lot of times, 
we work through something, whether it's an addiction or we've had marital struggles or we've had loss of a child, uh, a death of a child, whatever you've gone through, please remember, for the sake of the kingdom, Christ can use that to touch and reach and heal other people. So pray to God, you know, how can I recycle this pain? I went through this horrible time a few years ago. What can I do with that now? If it's an addiction, you need to mentor someone else who's struggling and going through an addiction. If it's, if it's a marital struggle and you're strong now, find that other couple to mentor. Find a non-Christian couple to mentor for the sake of the kingdom. Recycling your pain. God has pulled you out of a pit, and you can turn that around to help others in healing through Christ. The question to challenge you with is, what do you do to minister to people in need of healing? Lord, what am I doing to help minister to people in need of healing? The last one, number five, the last uh, soil, the last uh, thing we need to do as far as tilling this soil to help reach people is creating a culture of family. Okay? This is huge. And I, I sense, you know, just from last night when I was here and today, I, I feel like you guys have got this going in the right direction or you've got it. I don't know. I don't, I'm not here all the time, but having a sense of family. I remember when I was a kid, I went to a very traditional country church and I always got a kick out of it that they always called each other, were, you know where I'm going on this? They call each other brother and sister. You know, Brother Quinn is going to come up and close with prayer and that kind of thing. It sounded really goofy. You know, I couldn't figure that out. But when I think, when I think about it now, because really it's, it's kind of a sweet thing, I mean, I don't call my brothers Brother Gary and Brother Tom, you know, but I don't have to remind them that. But there's something about it because families are so fractured today in our society. Divorce is up. Remarriages are up. Um, Loss, not a lot of close relationships within a family. People are hungry for that sense of family because God created us with the need for Uh, acceptance, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, the need for community. We are created for community. So people are looking for family. John 13, 34, 35. Memorize this scripture. By your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. Okay? Not by how you dress. Not by how many times you go to church. By your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. You look in the book of Acts. I love reading through Acts in the early church and how it got started. And it talks about they were meeting every day. They were sharing meals together, spending time together. And that was the evangelism plan of the early church. I think people were looking at like, look at these people. They love each other, hanging out all together. They were drawn to that. And that's what drew them to the Christ. To Christ. So creating a sense of family is so important for the body of Christ. All right? People with broken childhoods, broken families are hungry for this. But God is in the business of building a new family for these people. And sometimes when you bring in people to your family or your small group or your church, they need to be reparented. Okay? That's where they need to learn what it looks like to have relationships and where where those appropriate boundaries are and scripturally how to apply that to their life. 
I love this scripture in Mark 33, 34. This is where Jesus is sitting around with all his disciples. They're having some kind of conversation, all right? And uh, they're saying to Jesus, they're saying, where's your mother? Where's your brothers? Okay? And here's what he said. It's really interesting. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. This is Jesus. When he looked around at those seated in the circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my other, my mother. There are people that they need to know that. They need to know that they've got family, a family uh, of believers. And we just need to, I, including myself, because sometimes I get selfish. My wife has the gift of hospitality more than I do. Sometimes I like my private time. It's okay to have your private time, but we need to open up our homes and let people have that sense of family. And not just the people we like all the time, our favorite people. People that maybe, you know, need a place to stay for a while. Um, so the family idea that Jesus presented is something that we have got that the world cannot give them. That's true and valid. So each person you meet is either your brother and sister in Christ or they're lost. You ever thought of it that way? Every person you meet is either your brother and sister in Christ or they're lost. And you, you have a responsibility to each person you meet. You treat them like a brother and sister in Christ or you treat them like someone who needs to become a brother or sister in Christ. And that's a, that's a challenge. It's a big challenge. So the question there is, how do I embrace ideas to reach others and consider them family? It's tough. And uh, I believe that a church full of imperfect people acting in his body can bring the hope and healing needed to change our world for the sake of the kingdom one life at a time. If you've ever led someone to Christ or had a relationship with someone who came to know Christ and then you see them share their faith with someone else, there's, it's the most rewarding feeling through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can have. And the church will bust open when people find that they're accepted and the people are real and they're authentic and people genuinely care. And imperfect people loving others to the sake of the kingdom is where, where, it really, where it's really at. And so I'd like to uh, do something right now, just kind of take some quiet time uh, is reflection for everybody here to um, just close your eyes. And I'm going to read through these questions again. I want you to just, between you and the Lord, just kind of analyze yourself. Uh, the Bible says we are to examine our ways, examine ourselves. So I'm going to read through these questions and just think through where you are. Okay? First question, do people have to peel through all the layers to find out who the real me is. When was the last time I had dialogue with a non-Christian?
Lord, does my heart reflect the heart of you to all people? What am I doing to minister to people who need healing? Do I embrace the idea to reach others, to bring them into your family? Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity uh, that you have given us as brothers and sisters in Christ to gather together this morning. For each person here and as part of the, the corporate body of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that we would be more intentional uh, to share our faith with others, to love people, accept them, to be honest to extend grace to those that are struggling and that our actions will be pleasing to you, Lord. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the counselor and the comforter, to come among us and, and as we share with other people. Uh, help us have eyes open to see those opportunities that you have put before each of us this week, uh, that we may see them as someone who is lost or someone who's our brother, that we will count upon you, Lord, to reveal those times to us. And we look forward to your work in our life. And I pray for blessing on every person here in this room today, for every marriage, every family that would be protected and strengthened. And we look forward to your work, Lord. And as you're working, we'll give all the praise back to you. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, you talk, sometimes people might have something they want to share or questions or share um, anything regarding the sermon or talk or herb. what you're saying. There's a big difference between uh, accepting um, and having a relationship with someone who is not a follower of Christ, who's never accepted Christ, that if someone claims to be a Christian, then how do you deal with it? As far as acceptance and not condoning?
transformation. Right. I think, okay, this is thinking off, off the top of my, uh, my thoughts, my opinions. I think we really, in churches today, we really slack in um, confronting sin with people who claim to be Christ and adamantly go against the Scripture. Now, the Scripture in 1 Corinthians you mentioned, it talked about uh, sexual sin. It also talked about greedy Sin is sin. We tend to worry about whether we're condoning someone's behavior. Like, let's say someone uh, who claims to be a Christian, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they moved in with their girlfriend, and they're having sex outside of marriage. But then someone goes and buys a really expensive house outside of their um, uh, income bracket. They're going into a lot of debt. Well, we don't really confront that. You know, it, it's, it's a struggle because there are certain sins we think need to be confronted and some that aren't. I think you have to have a loving relationship that you speak the truth. The Bible in, it talks about gently restoring someone who's fallen. A lot of times we just worry about just being gentle and forget about restoring. The one another's in the scripture, love one another, encourage one another, support one another. I mean, there's 30 or 40 of one another's. There's one that we always tend to forget about, admonish one another, which means, okay, you're off track, bud. You need to um, come back in line because we love you so much. We want you to have a right relationship with Lord. It's something, it's something you got to struggle, you struggle with. But I think in the context of community with a group of people, okay, Matthew 18, where it talks about if someone offends you, you go to them. If they don't change, you take a witness, and then you bring them to the church. In that society, the idea of not having those relationships was so overwhelming. People would stop the sin so they could be with people, right? Today's society, oh, they made me mad. I'm just going to go to a new church. Yeah. It's not a quick, easy answer. Sorry. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. Staying, uh, what's, does anybody know, I can't remember the scripture offhand about restoring someone, but be careful that you don't fall into it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Pardon? I don't remember. Sorry. But the idea is, hold on to yourself, your own convictions and where you are, but, but still engage with people. Right. Someone who doesn't what? Okay. Did everybody hear what he said? How do you help someone who maybe is is changing from where they've fallen, but they have a hard time forgiving themselves? Okay. 
here's something we have to remember. The Bible never, ever talks about forgiving yourself, okay? What I think what we're talking about is our own shame and our own, uh, how we're struggling with it. God is not a God of shame. Uh, uh, guilt, having some guilt, some godly re- repentance and being remorseful is one thing. And remembering where we were to where we're at now to, as a testimony. But shame is, I think shame is part of Satan. And you have to continually remind them, that I think, the scripture, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And, and we're not perfect. And uh, that's a message that we need to definitely share with people. Yeah. And that idea of recycling, recycling that past and that junk for, for something good, which can be testimony and helping someone else through it. You said 1215, 1215, is that all right? Okay, all right. Yeah, that's it, perfect, yeah. Restore someone gently, but watch yourself. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it.